Dr. Kearns, why do you not want to live in Germany? Why do I not want to live in Germany? You know, I, I don't know that any Kuhns ever actually lived in what is now Germany. They were um, like reformed, maybe from Switzerland, but definitely in Alsace. So maybe Alsace would be okay. That's now in France. It's like quasi-German, pseudo-German. But I, I have no particular attachment to Germany. So, but I, I think in addition to that, it's kind of like, you know, we, we've been we've been putting in an effort here on this continent for 300 years. In case of Kuntz's mom's side, about 400. Dad, parts of dad's side, 400. And, you know, I, w- I want to keep putting in some effort here, you know, before I uh, yeah, d- I like that. Decide, decide to go somewhere else. And it's also like, you know, there, there's so much to do because we settled a whole continent there is always something new to discover some new people group some new situation i don't i don't find it boring at all i also find that certain things that are definitive about the past are really only preserved in america so i'll just give you some examples but this is a little insight of hp lovecraft is that america has preserved certain ways about the past in the same sense that the way that we pronounce ours or most of us do is is older than british people not really pronouncing ours except as h's and that two things that that we have that are from the past are from the distant past and and have really only been preserved here um, as far as i know are the right to defend yourself with weaponry if necessary and uh, this now seemingly antiquated, but thanks to Elon Musk, somewhat revived idea of free speech, Amen. which which is that in, bo- <laughs> in, in both cases, we have not been entirely enslaved. Yeah. And so I, I don't, I mean, if somebody was like, hey, you know, we're, we're dying over here, you know, Macedonian man type of plea, you know, that that would be one thing. And I would obviously take that seriously. And before we started recording, I was talking about sort of a, it wasn't exactly a Macedonian man. It was an email, but (laughs) the vision in the night gets a little more power, you know, yeah, you know, look like I need a vision in the night. Like if you want to appear to me on a dark road in West Virginia as I'm driving, (laughs) okay, I would take that. I would take that pretty seriously. But I think unless you have such a, a push and because America itself is so wildly unevangelized by and large at this point the macedonian men have always been right in front of me so i didn't i didn't need to go i didn't need to go somewhere else to find them and 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 that's what i i I committed my life to that i mean i didn't commit my life to you know a specific county or something and i don't you know regret that but still because my own country where my ancestors built it is the way it is. I don't feel any particular pull to another country. I would rather that that those folks help themselves when and where they can. That in the case of Germany, that honestly might become increasingly impossible. And so I'm very open to the idea. And and the reason that I get the emails that I do is partly because Europeans have greater linguistic capacities than Americans for all kinds of reasons. And they listen to the show and they're like, 
wow, this is great. Like, can you help us? And I'm very happy to do that. But I would, I would love for them to be to help them help themselves, help them help their own country as much as they possibly can. Well, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest, and it would be in Alaska rather than Germany, probably. The last frontier <laughs> is going to call my name long before I'm going back to the motherland, which has spit us out, been conquered, spit us out, been conquered. What's going on over there now? <laughs> it doesn't, I don't know, it, it doesn't look good for for any natives on the European continent. And the restlessness that's showing up in some of the, the wilder corners of X, Twitter, and the the pushback from farmers in France and all this UN talk, you have uh, low level uh, UN ambassadors and representatives beginning to talk with each other more about Klaus Schwab, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Germany's in a tough spot if you're a Christian. You're in a really tough spot. I feel like Illinois is sort of like the promised land, you know? And then California, Texas, Florida, Philadelphia. I mean, there's so many places in this country that are wide open still, like you said, with, with uh, the Ethiopian eunuchs walking right in front of you, right? Do you have the courage? Uh, do you have the wherewithal and understanding to explain to him what he wants to understand? Yeah. And that's a, that's a powerful idea there to start this off. We're going to spend the rest of the show with a follow-up question to our previous episode on psychology, psychiatry, psychotherapy, all this other stuff, and and dig a little more, more into, I don't know, not the category that we would normally have a brief history power be in, you know, meta-narrative, I think, would be our primary category. We're we're getting into something. I, I don't know how you tie this to meta narrative as a as a concept, but yeah, no, no worries, man. I got work. it. We you got can it. Do it. It's yeah, fine. your soul yeah. work. Go do it. Tie it. <laughs> Is that the difficulties that we're talking about on a, usually a collective level, like a a city, a nation, something like that? They would not exist in the shape that they do if people in their everyday lives were not the disconnected, confused, impressionable kinds of people that they are. So to go back to the the previous psychology discussion, just give you an example, right? If if you get to the point where you're like, okay, I don't actually really have any friends. I don't, I don't, I don't have I, I have a lot of acquaintances. And then when I have time to reflect on these things, you know, I I don't actually have friends. So what are you going to do? You're going to pay for somebody to listen to you and then suggest the kinds of things to you that, that a friend might, or you're going to, you're going to push it down and then react with expressed rage at some point, whatever you're going to, however you're going to manage that, right? That matters on a collective level as soon as you realize that this is this is the way that people are reacting to the condition of their, you know, various forms of enslavement. Yeah. Right. And so it, it's, it's really, I don't, I don't find it that hard to connect because something people realize is, you know, I'm just an example, just a, an example from COVID, right? If we just, if we just all go into the store and we're all not complying, then we don't have then none of us has to comply anymore that you get these mass scale effects from individual decisions that are coordinated. 
if the uncoordinated but but mass uh, you know phenomenon of I don't really have any friends or I don't know how to retain friends or I don't know how to behave with my own you know family of birth or whatever right if that is a mass reality then decision makers politicians billionaires they're all going to they're all going to know that and take that into account right and that that can be magnified through the advent of smartphones people can become more atomized more split off from each other they can have you know weirder ideas that are going to separate them more from other people and i think we'll probably talk a lot about the concept of generations today but because you know god has set up life to operate inside the family which is the place where you figure out who you are and you learn how to be and you learn how not to be if that's broken then you are also broken and then the way that the society functions is broken and this is a truism on the level of you know you tell me what the out of wedlock birth rate is and i will tell you how high your crime rate is you know but it's also true on the level of people who are otherwise totally functional people living quote good lives right which which generally means for modern americans lives of great comfort but themselves being extremely miserable and stressed out and 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 weirded out and and weirding other people out so all those things are i think <laughs> really easily tied into like they they wouldn't treat you like this and you wouldn't be forced into these horrendous life difficulties if on a on a mass scale your society and its families and its ways of behaving were you know less insane yeah functional consumptionism isn't really a good life and if it's just you know tyranny at the task of the slave master so that you can OD on whatever later. <laughs> like how enjoyable is that even though your kids are playing sports and it's fun to watch, right? What's the trade-off? Uh, and what are we going to lose in the long run in those children specifically? And so the, the the move from like that big story, that that far away story, the meta to, to the real the thing that's right in front of you, yeah. you know, the, the people that you have to deal with and how your own soul, your psycho, <laughs> uh, is able at this fractured, distracted age to operate with their own fractured distraction. And I think 2020 gave a lot of homes wake-up calls. There were rises and all sorts of other things as a result of that. And I think your your tying of natural law to natural results, uh, rather than promoting Christian nationalism as you are often otherwise doing, um, I think really is, is a much better is a much better approach to our our principles here, right? So, okay, with that, let's let's move to our question, and I'm gonna uh, again summarize or or jibe a little bit in this question to protect okay. the innocent, but uh, we'll we'll see how it comes out by the time it's done. So, Pastor Fist, Doctor Coots. Uh, first, thank you both for discussing my question regarding psychotherapy and the situation in my family. I listened to the entire episode and thought you had some real great insight, especially on not outsourcing conflicts and on not being governed by emotion. I agree with you that 99% of the time these issues are biochemical are not biochemical issues and cannot be cured with a drug. 
What you said regarding the personality trait of Minnesota niceness and others of you know region or German ancestry, I am uh, you know it, it hit his home closely. I'm protecting the innocent here. Uh, he says I am the rudest person in my family since I probably <laughs> have the lowest filter on what I say. From what I can remember, I have never sworn at my parents or brought up something extremely personal about my parents in front of others. That said, I purposely try not to overthink what I say because I personally get annoyed when others visibly show they don't mean what they say. So there's there's a lot in that right there. Uh, getting to the crux of this follow-up, you mentioned that being open and honest is not the best way to go with my parents. Now, ah, we're talking about being forward with information that doesn't need to be shared as opposed yeah, to I would, I would right. call that not being open. Right. Uh, sh- should I then keep quiet about their controlling and passive behaviors? No, probably not. For the sake of brevity, I won't list out all the things. Yeah, yeah, boomers, da-da-da-da-da, we're all bigoted in some way. I guess I would have to throw in there. (laughs) Uh, None of their behaviors are per se sinful, uh, but these behaviors make it very difficult for me to have any sort of meaningful conversations. That's key. Like, what do you do when your family dynamic makes meaningful conversation impossible, right? Let alone a relationship. Uh, And then a lot of the question, I guess, what is your general opinion of setting boundaries in a general but firm manner? I see millennials who are having the same issues with their parents and getting treated the same way. Is there a point, if ever, when I am allowed to put my own emotional mental health first? And I'll say yes, and we'll try to unpack that. Have your hit. The idea that generations are really different from each other is driven by two different things. One one natural and real, and one unnatural but nonetheless real. The natural part is that one generation does lead to another by nature. And so the idea that you know, you're disconnected or something that is that is fairly common at this point, which is that, you know, people people who are in the boomer generation are now rolling into something like, you know, retirement. And there some are basically like reverting to what they didn't have the chance to do in their twenties as far as how they spend their time and 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 how helpful or unhelpful they are. And um, that is a disavowal of the natural connection of generations that creates absolute havoc in families. Generations are connected even when they don't want to be. You know, the person you never talk to or you never call or you never see, it doesn't therefore not matter in the way that somebody you're not actually connected to who isn't, you know, your actual ancestor or your actual descendant. You know, you can you can skip calling the guy three doors down on the same side of the street because you're not actually connected in a way that is going to matter if you move you're still going to be connected to this person this person's still going to be your father or your you know your grandson even when you're dead that's that's just the way it is right when you are when you are generated from a line you are connected to that line whether you want to be or not that's that's natural and real what's unnatural but nonetheless real. And I, I just mean unnatural in the sense of origin. I don't mean that it's, you know, that it's wrong per se. I think, I think, I think it's probably pretty much wrong, (laughs) but not wrong per se is that because our generations are defined by consumption patterns, both of media and, and spending in the modern West, because of that, the differences between them are vast. And uh, I think we've we've mentioned things like accents on the show before. 
speech patterns. But it's also helpful to think that you have with somebody of a similar age, because this is, that's how you were schooled. You know, you were, you were pulled into school with people of the same age. So you've been, you've been kind of living this way since you entered school, you were schooled both in school and by TV or radio or the internet or whatever your generation's dominant app or media form is or was you were schooled to whatever else was going on, whatever other accents people were using. They were calling it a bubbler or a drinking fountain or whatever they were calling it that you were taking a drink from after gym class. You were also then schooled in your generation's irony or your generation's predominant form of, you know, millennial serious striving and social concern or whatever it was, right? It's not that that's unreal, but it is it is unnatural. It's not like if you were given a society like most human societies throughout most of time, largely free of intermediating media. So voice, I mean, if, if you think about it this way, it's kind of like you got your parents, you got your grandparents, whatever they talk, however they talk, they have whatever natural reactions they have. And then through whatever that form of media was, you then invite all of those people into your living room, right? Those people, those people live with you. Those voices live with you, whatever the, you know, maybe their accounts, maybe they are show episodes, whatever it was that you're obsessed with or, or rewatching or checking every day, right? So you had all those people, that's going to create a rift easily and naturally. Maybe if you're sharing the same media forums, <laughs> you know, that would be, that would be one thing. And I guess that would be less harmful, but it's it still, it, what, what it does is it's going to create natural misunderstanding because it makes everyone even in the same house somewhat foreign to each other in a way that doesn't i mean it doesn't have to be it's not like you are required to have you know quote less of an accent than your grandparents or that you are you know i mean in in my case it 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 would mean that by virtue of tv influence we all sound more midwestern than we did two generations ago because that's that's you know tv english is like south dakota english so those 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 rifts between generations there's there's obviously a natural difference in generations because they're experiencing life at different points at different times by nature but there's also and this is usually what is making things like communication family dynamics honoring one's parents showing love to one's grandchildren harder and harder and harder because for people of your own age at any given time what you're doing seems completely understandable even though to people in your own family at any given time it seems completely incomprehensible yeah yeah you know when when they sell you on the assyrian chopping block and ship you off to you know outside the promised land for however many years and they program you with what you're supposed to be and you're doing it all in you know goodwill because you believe this is well this is america right and, and so you know you, you give yourself over to that and and then you, you come home and you say look what i found and and 
everybody else who comes home too, they found something different. And it's not what your parents had. It's not what your parents want. And then you got to ask yourself a few questions, right? Like, what did I find? How did I find it? Who did this? And is there a way out of this darkness? And, you know, Christianity, Jesus is the light. So the path out of the darkness of the, the psychobabble and the confusion of the generations that have been blasted by the mediums of the, the magical modern age, uh, the way out is, is a simplicity of retreat to the word of God. And, and I would contend, again, now this is a little different from where I really think we want to go for the whole conversation, but that a major, major part of recapturing the psyche is the memorization of Holy Scripture for the sake of prayer and conversation, that the uh, attention to the mind as a weapon against the infiltration of ideas with suggestive thought and picture and all the other things that these tools now do, the weapon you've been given to fight back with is a text that is so plain and so powerful that it it really does act as a double-edged sword in every every given moment. And from there, uh, to begin to, again, take everything else that Dr. Kuntz just said about the scenario we're in and start to, with a natural eye and with a care to detail, Pairing away from those things that blow back the hardest on your ability to retain your own attention. <laughs> your own attention. Yeah. In in any form of historic Christian spiritual practice, whether you're talking about prayer, reading of scripture, whatever you're talking about, you very often have something called a via positiva, positive way. And that's what Pastor Fist just outlined. What I'm suggesting for the purpose of understanding one's own soul is that you also pursue a via negativa, which is where you you do you do less, you certainly consume little to nothing. And in the case of family, that you spend large amounts of time, particularly with people older than you, but also with people younger than you. But because these are problems that generally adults have with each other, this is less of an issue for children. Children, children are not by nature set up to hate other generations yeah. that that is that is an unnatural but extremely prevalent and destructive idea that our kids are taught over and over and over again they're not naturally like that they don't, i mean I, <laughs> my kids go on practically every homebound visit that i do and learn to talk to elderly people that are different from them and i did the same thing growing up even though you know my I don't come from a clergy family and there's, there's almost nothing better for you when you're seven to shut up and listen to an 85 year old talk about life and what life was like when she was seven or whatever. So there's a lot of silence, I think that is actually extremely beneficial in this way. The other reason I would suggest silence in the presence of one's older relatives is not, is Precisely not because they're infallible and you need them to talk to you. So I'm not saying like you go over to your parents' house and you just let the TV stay on because that means that somebody else is talking, right? And that that is as insanely corrosive, just more common for the boomer generation as being on your phone all the time is for younger generations that wouldn't look at a giant screen, but would look at a small screen. But that once you have that opportunity just to listen and to ask questions, that you treat it as an opportunity. And the way that I 
know this is true is because one thing that you want to do when you're trying to change your own soul is that you have to put things in the perspective of death. It's what our society doesn't do, right? This is how this is connected to the meta narratives, right? Our society pretends that death only occurs when and where we choose. It's why euthanasia always becomes first a talking point and then a policy decision in modern, declining, self-destructive societies, okay? Because they, they believe that death is not a reality imposed by God, limiting every human life and therefore making it valuable. Death is a reality that we choose in our own self-making. That lie is at the heart of a lot of the policies that we all hate, including abortion, which is a sort of sacrament of death. When you think about these things in terms of death, I can promise you that you will not regret the time that you spend listening, even if it's the same stories, it's the same jokes, because the significance there is that that human being is sharing his life and his sense of things and his voice with you. You, That's, that's what you're going to miss when he's gone. You're not going to miss the other stuff and the other time and the other opportunities you didn't get to take advantage of. So... This involves your immersing yourself in silence. That's also key, not only for understanding him, but for entering into the kind of understanding that can heal things. Because when you have a problem with somebody else, particularly in your own family, the wound, I think, is very often the need, which is reinforced incessantly by media, to assert yourself and to assert your prerogatives. And I and I I think that, that that idea is driven particularly by the non-Christian idea that again you are constituted by your willing and by your self-willing. And in the case of dealing with living ancestors, okay, particularly one's own parents, that is simply not true. You are not constituted by your will. Now we get that and we talk about that in church, but then we don't really apply the same concept from John chapter one to life, right? We still think life is somehow constituted by my willing and by my self-assertion in the presence of whoever, okay? And we can talk about family dynamics and what you should bring up and, and, and all that kind of thing. I'm, ha I'm happy to do that. But I think if you, if you start from a position that somehow this is a battle of wills. There will never be resolution, or the resolution will be something that I find very common in our circles. And I think pacifists start out asking about Germany because he wants to talk about German Americans. <laughs> but the the idea that that somehow life is some kind of fight, and you need to then assert yourself, or you're going to lose. And we talked about that as a group dynamic among people where it's like, you know, the bully always gets to lead, you know, the, the most boorish person who is the loudest and most obnoxious gets to be in charge or the person who has the least consideration for other people, whatever the case is. The reason that's even that person is possible. And that if that's a collective phenomenon, that's a, that's a small level collective phenomenon. See how that's dependent on people's families being places of sheer assertion of will, right? And this is how you get something that is extremely common, 
which is that people are completely different human beings in private and in public, completely different. And that's, that, that is, that, that is crazy. <laughs> okay. If you well, want, I'm just going to jump in though. It's, yeah. it's kind of normal though, right now. It is normal. It's disgustingly, terrifyingly normal. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean like, you know, I, I just, we are not who we say we are. We believe it's better to put a face on it. It's, it's a shame driven culture with very little grace in it. And that's not just America I'm talking about. No, it's no, sad. no, no. And, but, but the idea, I think that the, the place that people go when they realize that that's, that's not good is that they go to a media generated form of, it's supposed to be like pseudo authenticity. So you have no filter or you're just yourself or you're just always casual or something. We and go back to the rage machine. This is going to tell them, you know, it's going to dopamine rush them, counter the depression for a moment and give yeah. them the, the uh, really rage. They'll come back with rage Correct. and then they'll have to say something with that rage. And yes. they'll be, they'll be believed that they're going to, by letting, by, by externalizing their sinful thought, they will be able to atone for it in some yes. way. And it's upside down, right? Yes. I, I'm I'm with you all the way until I believe you absolutely must assert these things inside your head. If you're struggling with these kinds of things, you must be able to inside your head be like, well, you know what? My dad's being a real jerk right now. Look at that ass. Oh my goodness. And smile the whole way, not to save face, but out of respect and deference, out of duty for the moment, out of understanding the order of creation. That doesn't mean that next time he says, hey, I'm going to swing by this evening and just drop by and drop a few bombs on your family. You have to open the door. You can say, dad, we're busy tonight. Come back Thursday. Right. So th there's a place for all of this. Yeah. 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 Go. And it, well, and, and what you're saying, the reason that our group has such trouble resisting government authority. Okay. Is because it doesn't have a concept as a group of illegitimate authority, illegitimate assertion of authority. Yeah. All of these things are related to the way that people are in and of themselves and especially the way that their families relate to each other. You you're not going to have that problem in a group that has a different sense of how authority functions inside a family or interpersonally. If you have a sense that, you know, he can go ahead and say that he's your dad, but that doesn't mean he's right. Right. Then of course you're not going to you are not going to have a problem thinking what if government bad sometime. You know, <laughs> like it's not that's an easy thought to occur to you if you have a concept that authority can be overstepped. And you know the other the other day one of one of my sons is arguing with the other son because they're two boys, so they're arguing with each other about whether you have to do something if your parents tell you to do it, like just theoretically anything. Jump over a bridge, man. What if they yeah, jump over right. a bridge? Well, and, the, and the one son, because the <laughs> other son was defending the idea that you don't have to do everything that your parents tell you to do if it's if it's wrong. The other son is, is uh, he says like, no, they're your parents. Like honor your father and your mother. And And I, you know, this is all kinds of like weird irony here, but I was like, I can't believe a son of mine is, you know, going in with that instinctual reaction. Like, of course, if I tell you to jump off a bridge, you don't have to do it. Like, that's really stupid. <laughs> but I, you know, I was feeling ancestor shame at that moment. <laughs> but it's but, probably, it's probably whatever is in the water right now these days, you know, it's, it's <laughs> right. in the food. Right. So I think, I think that it's, it's relatively easy to see that if you have, if you have an individual or you have a familial spiritual problem 
you're that problem is going to be metastasized in a, in cancerous mm-hmm. fashion mm-hmm. on any number of levels so that when you're when you're talking about okay how do i relate to my parents you you want to remember that something that is almost definitive about the left in america is that it involves hatred of the past and particularly of one's own ancestors and this is inculcated from the first right i like to ask kids who go to public school what they're learning in public school about history because it'll always it's at this point it's a very explicit version of the existence of europeans on the american continent is illegitimate right and they'll even give me the scare quotes while they're describing it because they were given the scare quotes when they were told like you know i i asked i asked a girl like you learn anything about christianity in school she's like yeah when the europeans quote you know found the land they brought Christianity with them. So, I mean, you know, no surprise, public school, you're not, you know, you're not being taught that Christianity had anything positive to offer to anyone at any time. Not shocked by that. But her own existence as a, you know, white girl in America is being taught to her as illegitimate, as a lie, as theft whatever right and what's going to happen there is that if that can just snowball that in the future then you can you can think of your parents as illegitimate you can think of your parents as disgusting you can think of your grandparents as racist as whatever whatever it is that's illegitimate about them at that point obviously you don't have to think about how you're relating to them the questioner at least wants to figure something out. It's a point where you give up the desire to relate, to figure it out, to handle it, that you are very much primed to be somebody else's tool. Because the things that are intended to be received from one's and through one's family, like love, right? Think think about how often people say something like, I just want to feel safe. Why do people say that so much? I think I think they say it because they because they don't have families where they have that yes that sense of being at home right yep so you're gonna you're gonna try to get those things because you're a human it's not like you're gonna fundamentally change just because you hate all your ancestors including yeah, the ones but, that you but see you're gonna try to get safe by listening to a podcast it's not gonna work yeah i watched a documentary on feeling safe with psychology it's not gonna work so this is the problem with no. our show right I and mean, you know this we've known this like in one way we're just not the answer <laughs> yeah uh, and we can we can dance around it a lot and we can talk about where these things come home to roost uh, we can give you the big meta picture but you, you hit it on the head right there adam uh, i'd say not just the issue of insecurity but but most social issues people would say they deal with most psycho social issues people say they deal with are going to have a lot to do with your nest yeah you know, and, and, and i mean nest. i mean the reason we are not the answer is because we can't do it for you in the same sense that I can't believe in Christ for you. I can't read the Bible for you. I can help you with those things. I can't do it for you because if it actually matters, it involves you. It doesn't involve consumption. 
right? It's going to change you and you will be changed and you will be different. So I'm, I mean, I'm totally fine with that because I'm not, if, if I were trying to control people, I would say different things, right? Just to get them to behave in accordance with what I think is good or whatever. Like I would say different things. And there's, I love that. That's a scary thought, but I love that a lot though. Right. I mean, I mean, there, there's all, (laughs) there's all kinds of things you could say that would, that would work better. You know, what, what gets there that maybe a lot of people haven't thought through, maybe some have is like, there are people out there who are smarter than you. And it doesn't just mean that they can like remember stuff from a book. It means they can outthink you by like three to seven moves. So you're standing there and you're like in real time and everything's real time and everything's real time to you. And and they said words and you thought it was something and you don't even know, but they just told you what to do. You're going to do it. And that right. is real. Yeah. That is so real. Oh, that's so real. <laughs> so yeah, from there. And and that that is a way that is easily observable as a problem on a family level. So yeah. let's talk about, let's talk about family dynamics. But what, what we're saying before we say like, okay, your parents, what to do, you know, is that th- that that will occur more and more and more on a societal level. There will be more and more and more followers. There will be more and more cult-like figures in any society that is as lonely and confused as ours. It's happened before. I mean, there was an explosion in cults, okay, in something like the modern sense. Once Alexander conquered large parts of the Middle East, and made everybody half Greek, culturally speaking, okay? The lonelier, the more disconnected, the more rootless people are, the more this is going to happen, okay? So it's it's not unusual. It's not strange. The growth in psychotherapy and especially pharmaceuticals intended to help you manage everyday life, none of it's shocking. It's happened before. What do you do about that? Because one thing that we said in the first psychology episode was you that you can shut things off. You can ignore things. You can ignore people. You can block contacts. It's not going to solve things. So when you get advice from Jesus about dealing with your brother who has a problem with you or something, that is actual wisdom about actually solving something. Okay. The fact that this is limited is a truism, and I don't think I should have to say it. Like, obviously, this is limited. As much as is possible, live at peace with all men. As much as is mm-hmm. possible, right? Obviously, this is a limited endeavor. Let's, but let's say you're talking about you're talking about parents. Okay. I think first you have to enter into sympathy with other people, and try to see the situation. And honestly, with your parents as with your own children, this should be relatively easier than with anybody else because the distance between human beings and how they perceive the world and how they handle things and how they process things is naturally not that great between generations. Unnaturally, it might be huge, but you have to realize like, oh, my desire for just telling it like it is, is actually something I learned from TV and not from my grandparents or whatever it is that you want to pursue. And you don't even, I'm not even saying like the desire to tell it like it is, is, is bad. 
and the desire to cover everything up and act like nothing is bad. Previous generations would do that all the time, right? So like, it, you know, it'd be something like your grandmother had a, you know, a twin sister who died horribly in an accident when she was four. And I never knew she even existed. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that previous generations were somehow sinless and we just need to get back to their sinlessness. I'm saying you have to enter into sympathy with how they perceive the world in order to relate to them well. Yeah. yeah a little bit about live at peace with all men as possible. It would require that you would desire to live at peace. And if you are desiring to find peace only in expressing every feeling you ever have yeah. with your mouth, yeah. then you don't desire peace at all. And you're going to get conflict as a result. So I think awakening the desire to live at peace as a concept, right? And again, this comes back to prayer then to that you would ask, you know, may I have a heart that prefers peace? Because that'll slow the tongue down. Yeah. It will. Yeah, it'll it'll slow the tongue down. It 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 will also help you do something that you need to do, even if what you're doing is not, you know, transparently wonderful to everybody, which is that you are living with intention. So let me give you an example of this with with older generations that I that I think is important is that there is a subservience to the wishes of females older generations pretty much universally exhibit. Its original context was in a society that had healthier relationships between the sexes and a clearer understanding of headship that was beneficial for life. And so, can you, can you, I love what you said. Can you yeah. just repeat subservience to just say it again the way subservience you Subservience to the wishes of females. The wishes of females. Very the wish, nice. I mean, just whatever they want. Yep. Right? And I think that that was probably fine. Do you have a date for when this started? Like psychologically, I, you know, I don't, okay, I don't because, <laughs> because, because, okay, George Custer brings his wife West to put an end to the Sioux problem, which is largely a Lakota, Lakota issue by mid 1870s. And the, the Indians describe the whites as worshiping their women. Okay. okay. So it's been a while. Okay. But the context of all of that is in a society where the woman has a clear role, more biblically aligned than today, for sure, and aligned with her purpose as a wife and a mother, rather than aligned with her purpose as a woman who can do no wrong. Okay, so there's a there's a subservience to females there. That obviously jives really well with the expectation that everyone is supposed to be nice all of the time, because it allows women with the way that they relate to each other by nature to dominate mixed groups because everyone has to sort of behave kind of like a woman in the sense that everyone has to be nice about things and pleasant at all times and things that are perfectly acceptable in male groups which is that you hash it out in a, in a somewhat brutally honest fashion never actually occurs so if the group is mixed the women will be in charge Okay. Uh, so, yeah, hands down. Amen. 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 Yeah. Preach your brother. I got no debate with you at this at all. <laughs> so, but, but, but what, what then happens is that subservience to the wishes of females means that in practice, everything is female headship, everything. Okay. There, there are no spheres anymore, therefore, because everything is female headship. Okay. 
And so nature is contravened even on the level of the family and especially on the level, and this is easily observable in boys in school because boys are just incessantly failing to be girls in school and being judged for it and being medicated for it and being graded accordingly, et cetera. Okay. And that's going to, that's going to screw up the rest of their lives in all kinds of ways. So I can't with intention behave with utter subservience to the wishes of females today. Otherwise that's never going to change. I, I just can't. And maybe that comes off as rude sometimes, but I just can't do it. And I try not to be a jerk about it, like harsh. And I don't need any kind of climactic moments where I announce to female X, like, I'm not doing what you're doing. But Wait, we get all the women in the church together. You can say, today, I will leave it behind once and for all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't need to do that, but no, I, I, I will give you a personal example and I'm fine. I'm fine doing this is that. You know, in my in my first congregation, ladies who were, I don't think coincidentally, all originally from the Midwest, were complaining about I don't know what I, I don't know what I was doing. It's fine, whatever. Like that's being a pastor. And yeah, right, right, right. They were complaining about you yeah. took a call, you it's got fine. there, and you kind of did a thing or two and said and hi. I I did do it. <laughs> I did do a thing or two, and they were complaining, and and the elder was like. The elder who was, he was like, well, why don't you talk to Pastor Kuntz? And they're like, well, he's not going to listen. And what that meant was not that I wouldn't listen to them. Man, you wouldn't agree. It's that I wouldn't <laughs> listen to what they say and then do what they say. That's yeah, what that that's meant. Right. right. That's what that meant. And I'm fine with that. And I don't hold it against them. And that's, I mean, they have been putting up, you know, pitching a fit and then men do what they want their whole lives. That's why they were behaving like that because it had worked. Right. And that's fine. Like, that's fine. Like I didn't hold it. Again. I mean, it's literally not personal. I mean, they're complaining about me, but it's not personal. It's fine. But at that moment, if you're like, oh yes, I will now do what you want. Like, just hang it all up. Just hang it all up. Because you can't actually practice male headship if you think that's something that matters in any sphere, especially in the way that a family is governed. If you're going to if you're going to practice this kind of subservience to whoever is able to complain, right? Like you, you just can't do that. The question is was originally about I think particularly relating to silence not the silence of sympathetic listening or understanding, which I'm happy to do for anybody, but the silence of we're going to handle this problem by not addressing it. And I actually think that in the questioner's case, um, and I'm, I'm not saying this as like a, you know, some kind of deep next level insight. I'm just saying usually when human beings are arguing about specific issues, there are other things in addition to the, the issues are not fake, but there are other things in addition to the issues. So in the case of, you know, we have this weird thing that we do or that we fail to do, right? It's, it's probably because underneath the specific issue is that the way that we handle things is that we don't because the thing that we are most afraid of is the admission of actual conflict between each other. That the, the pretense of harmony is preferable 
even with all of the obviously visible body tension that people exhibit, the pretense of harmony is preferable to anything else. And I mean, if you ever come into somebody's physical presence and you can, you can feel their body tension, mm. right? That you can tell that it has built and built and built and built and built, right? And in the predominant culture of the Lutheran church, people build their tension up or do they don't, they don't bring it into the room, release it and then leave. Right. That that's, and that's just the way that it goes. Okay. That's a foreign culture to me, but that's, that's what we are mostly dealing with. If they're going to build it up, the thing that has to happen first before productive openness can occur is that the person has to realize that figuring something out is more important than the pretense of harmony. Cause it, it is obviously a pretense. I mean, you cannot, you can't exist with other people without there being conflict. So you have to figure out a way to handle it. If you don't figure out a way to handle it, that is productive, you will just have incessant fragmentation. We do, we can do that with congregations because they can just march down the road and, and apply for their own charter. <laughs> I heard, I heard it's close, man. <laughs> but in the case of families, we can't do that, right? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, we. Not really. We can't Not really. Right? People we try. We can't. Yeah. People, people try. try. People try. If you're going to, if you're going to overlook or strive to overlook the fight about the issue on the table, which is what I would say, you know, holding your tongue is about. Yeah. Right, so I'm in a moment and I'm not going to assert my thoughts at all because I'm going to overlook this offense yeah. or non-offense or whatever it is. I'm going to let it pass. Right. I'm going to overlook that that issue generally because I'm trying to see the greater terrain, which has perhaps yes. brought this issue yes. to be the right. large issue it seems to be when That's it, right. it's really not, right? It's yeah. a tissue box That's or right. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what are the actual terrain habits that we signal to each other around such kinds of things and as such times. And, and, and I can only speak from my experience of just striving to do this personally yeah, because of my own, my own needs, frankly. And, and what I have found more and more is, is how much of the tension I, I put aside or I would, you know, in my, in my home life, I was just taught to overlook or pretend it wasn't there or whatever. Right. So much of that tension is in fact about simple things, simple things like, like owned versus shared space, eye contact, nods of respect, awareness, personal, physical contact, recognizing each other in the room, things like that, which I think a lot of people, I don't know, 50 years ago just did. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. You know, right. but I'm I'm having to learn it and then teach it to a fairly functional family. I mean, we're we're good people, I think. You know, the the uh, you talk. I said earlier about that that two faced reality. We yeah. we've struggled because we don't we've never wanted to hide our home life from the congregation, and yet there's this you know they tell you you know a seminary don't share anything with anybody you know and and there's some real risk involved in that. So yeah. So no, we don't share everything with everybody, but but. But we are definitely working toward as a whole, not not just being nice for nice's sake, but coming back to an awareness that when men and women operate in a shared space, whether it be a church function, whether it be the dining room table, whether it be in passing of the hallway, that that we can, we must 
what share that space. Yeah. And, and that involves how our bodies interact, which doesn't have to mean touch, but it does mean proximity, it means awareness, and, and it means you know signaling. And that I think what a lot of people then are are building up inside is they're just being disrespected like all the time. And I don't think this is men or women or I think we live in a place where just people just disrespect. You're getting disrespect all the time. And then a lot of times what happens is you get home to the place where you, you know, you've worked so hard against the disrespect of the world yeah. uh, to come back to this place. And then you're disrespected there too, because the kids are reading the books from the world and the wife's watching the TV shows from the world. And, you know, and, and it just is more at the table of what you had at, at work. And of course the cave can only work for so long. The alcohol can only work for so long sports. I mean, she's still complaining about the sports, right? Yep. And so, you know, it really is about, you know, who's the man, who's the woman, what does God say about us? And I, I'm not kidding. I mean, it physically then, that needs to be seen. First Corinthians 11, head coverings. We've talked before a little bit about, you know, that's what that's about though, right? And it's not just about but what that, you show off at church. It's about how you do it in the home. That's why it's becoming popular. And and the reason that I, I can't sympathize with, you know, church church leaders freaking out about head coverings is because you need to ask yourself not, if you are leading anyone, don't ask yourself, do I like this? First of all, you need to ask yourself, first of all, why is this happening? Because leadership is an exercise in understanding other human beings okay, yeah. for their benefit, right? So even if I think, well, head coverings doesn't mean a physical head covering, it means long hair. Okay. Those are your, those are your two respectable exegetical options. Okay. Even if you totally disagree, ask yourself, why is this happening? It's happening because casual life where the sexes are interchangeable, also in how they treat each other in public, which is called manners, right? So we're not talking about subservience to women, but why are you opening the door for a woman? Okay. Do you sincerely believe she physically cannot open the door for herself? No, but you are reinforcing the idea that you are not the same as she is, which is reinforced by lots of other things, including stuff nobody's bringing back right now, like standing up when women or older people enter the room. Hmm. Okay. Women and older people all used to be treated like the president of the United States. Now, none of them is <laughs> only the president who may not even be aware that he's entering the room is getting treated like all women and all older people of either sex used to be treated. You want to bring that back, bring it back. That'd be, that'd be cool. Great. But the, the manners and the not being casual about everything is an expression that there is another reality. There's a deeper reality going on other than the vibes of the people concerned, right? The three people in this room, the four people hanging out in this college dorm suite, whatever it is, whatever the setting is, the reason that there were manners was to reinforce something else. So this wasn't, you know, Emily Post type, when do I use you know, when do I use this particular fork when we have the fish course? Okay. That's one set of manners, but the basic set of manners that was constantly reinforced for even everyday people, people that don't have special spoons set aside for dessert or coffee was specifically because they, there were men, there were women, there were older people, there were younger people. It's a recognition of the orders of creation. And the reason that people are pushing for more of those, particularly inside the church, is because nowhere outside the church are these things hardly ever recognized anymore. Yeah, I think that's really good stuff. My personal hermeneutic for First Corinthians 11 is uh, we have no such law. So the issue is not whether a head covering is good or bad, but whether you're going to make everyone else do it and say it's the only way to save the church. 
And that I see as an overreaction. The the recognition, though, that we must symbol man and woman is evident, and it's clearly right. an evident symbol yeah. within the scriptures there. So if it's done in the freedom of the gospel, I got I got nothing against it. Right. What I got against is this, that you would symbol such a thing and not change the dynamic in the home. <laughs> <laughs> right well, like, yeah like, right turn this yeah. into i, I mean and I, I i i i watch saying, carefully i watch carefully and chauvinism isn't dead yet adam it really ain't and it can come back real hard fast and it's gonna be ugly when it does and you know what i guess if that's the wrath of god on the matrilineal weakness that we are i'd just as soon bring back christian chivalry though and really get this thing from like a, a gentle strength kind of perspective as opposed to they're just stupid versions of us kind of perspective and you know yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I watch, I watch, I listen and I, and I pray because yeah, I'm so, not sure. Yeah, go. Uh, I mean, I, I do, I do think there are, there are actually plenty of guys and probably the numbers increasing who do literally hate women. They also hate their parents. Yeah. Hatred of human beings that are very different from you for all kinds of reasons, I think is always a failure to perceive why and how they need to be different why your parents are not you and why women are not you. So I, I think you can really only hate women if you're holding them to be inadequate men. Hmm. That That's where a lot of people are today. I mean, a lot of women are angry that they are not men or they're angry at men, that men are failing to be women, right? That's, that's misandry, I guess, although we don't really use that word. But I would say actual misogyny, which just means hatred of women, Actual misogyny is driven by insufficient grasp of the orders of creation. And it's definitely coming back, right? And it's coming back because people are tired of, men are tired of being hated for being insufficiently women, yeah. right? Yeah, right? yeah. You, you back the dog into a corner and he's one of them's going to bark at you. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I think that's always a failure to grasp the orders of creation. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't, just like when we talked about previous generations not being sinless, it doesn't mean that you have to perceive superiority or sinlessness in the other person who is a female or who is older than you or who is younger than you. It means that you can let them be what they are by nature and the conflicts that you have with them respect the fact that they have that nature, that they are in First Timothy terms, an older man or a younger woman whom you treat as sisters in all purity. That's always a respect for the nature that that person was given by God rather than an anger that that person's nature is not being expressed in the way that yours is and therefore that they are simply failing to be you so to try to wrap this up here you know the last question again at the end of our our uh, internet raised millennials letter uh, was am i allowed to put my own emotional mental health first and i think we started that first psychology episode by my assertion that you know enter all this with the view that psychology is a is a mythology and just like homer there's some truth in it and it can teach you how to be a better person sometimes right i mean it's it's not so different from other mythologies if you can accept that it's just not written in story form the way they kind of they used to do it so the question you know put my own emotional mental health first right that the entire question is out of that story it's not out of the story of, you know, uh, uh, be still my soul and know, you know, why, why do I long for you? Oh, Jesus. Why do you not answer me? 
right? You know, the Psalter has language that is going to be about like, hey, I need some help here personally, me, me, Jesus, I need help, right? <laughs> There's words for that, right? And it's not the language of emotional mental health is the motion of save me. It's the mo- it's the language of Hosanna, right? It's, it's the language of, you know, uh, you set me in a broad place, right? All that kind of stuff. In this though, to, to come back and within the mythology to say, yes, uh, uh, if a man is going to be the master of his own, then he absolutely must master his own mind. And if he discovers that his emotions and mind are out of control, he has the duty to refrain from harming the world around him, around him, to to retreat into a place of of uh, what do I call it, a suffrage? I don't know, and to pursue a, a better mouth and a better soul. And if you want to call that putting yourself first, you can. I'm going to call that the hammer of God in a lot of cases. This isn't going to be fun, and this isn't just looking in the mirror and saying, "Well, it's all going to work out." Yeah, um, this is about going to the good physician and letting him dig out the idols piece by piece with a vocabulary a vocabulary uh, that is transformative all the way. So you will find that uh, in the kingdom of Jesus, the last is first and the first is last. It's a stupid question. You know, look at Jesus, receive the good. He is going to teach you the way that you should go. And the way that you should go is always going to see the good of other people around you. So you won't have to ask, man, should I put myself first right now? Like when you're in that place, you're in a story you don't want to be in. You're listening to A Brief History of Power. You know where to find us or you wouldn't be here. The Hebron Collegium is a gap year Bible school for men in Rockford, Illinois. Semi-monastic boot camp for Christian living. Cowards and slackers need not apply. HebronCollegium.com What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College a college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. At 7,123 feet, you can find mountains soaring above you and rivers running swiftly in the valley below you, natural beauty of every kind. But our God is richer in his gifts than this. At 7,123 feet in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, you can also find God's word preached purely and his sacraments given out for your salvation at Our Savior Lutheran Church and School. Located off US 160, just west of downtown Pagosa, Our Savior offers your children a wonderful place to learn of Christ and his wisdom week in and week out and offers you the medicine of immortality Sunday in and Sunday out. Our Savior Lutheran School provides a Christ-focused classical education that enriches the child's soul with the best that has been thought and said to the glory of God. Whether you visit while vacationing or hunting in the beauty of the area, or whether you would like to join a group of faithful Lutheran Christians, Our Savior, Pagosa Springs, has what you're looking for. Divine service with Holy Communion is each Sunday at 9 a.m., and Bible class follows at 10.30. At more than a mile high, you will find Christ in all his glory in the midst of his people at Our Savior Lutheran Church and School, 
a proud sponsor of A Brief History of Power. Find out more at oslcpagosa.org. North Idaho is home to beautiful mountains and scenic lakes, small-town tranquility, civil freedom, and the faithful Lutheran parish of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, located in Hayden, Idaho, near Coeur d'Alene. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church is a proud sponsor of A Brief History of Power. If you like what you hear on Brief History, then you will love Blessed Sacrament, where the Lord's Word is faithfully preached and Christ's body and blood are administered at every divine service. Whether you are visiting Idaho or considering moving to Idaho, wouldn't it be nice? Please join the saints of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church for the Mass and Augsburg Academy Bible Study. Directions, service times, and much more information about this confessional, liturgical parish may be found at blessedsacramentlutheranchurch.com. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, Historic Christian Orthodoxy, the Evangelical Lutheran Faith in the Beautiful Inland Northwest.